0: Please note, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are advised that this podcast may contain audio of deceased persons, which may cause sadness or distress. Audio from examples of television advertisements and children's television entertainment, which the speaker presented in this lecture, are copyrighted by Carbon Creative and used with permission in this podcast. Welcome to the IFE podcast series. Today's podcast is a Grand Challenge Lecture and features Mr. Wayne Denning, Managing Director of Carbon Creative. This lecture was recorded on Friday the 4th of May and is entitled Provoking Intergenerational Change Empowering a Generation to Close Their Own Gap. Wayne Denning is a Proudberry man and QT alumni who left a successful career in Federal Government in 2006 and formed Carbon Creative, a full-service creative agency with a difference. Wayne is determined to give a positive voice and self-empowerment to Indigenous Australians. And Carbon Creative helps shape and share stories and ideas for a diverse audience, from the mainstream to the marginalised. We hope you enjoy this IFE Grand Challenge Lecture.
1: Look, everybody, just take a moment. It's quite a profound statement. It was actually in The Guardian yesterday by Dr. Sana Nakata. She's a Torres Strait Islander woman. Excuse me if I haven't pronounced that right, but I want to read it. Our democracy will be deficient until Indigenous children can imagine themselves in its future. Our democracy will be deficient until Indigenous children can imagine themselves in its future. Very powerful, bold statement by Sana. and sort of goes through the essence of what we're here to talk about today. My name is Wayne Denning, as you heard before. I am a Biri Government man. Um, I'm Aboriginal. I'm not an academic. I am an alumni of QUT, um, which I'm very proud of. Uh, but I'm here to share some of my thoughts and ideas and some of my observations as a person who firstly worked in government for about 11 years for the federal, ag- federal government agencies, but then as someone that's worked taking these learnings from QUT and doing an MBA and created an agency built around social, pos- positive social change, about making a difference, putting a voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in general. So what we're here to talk about is provoking intergenerational change, particularly that as it impacts on empowering Indigenous youth to, empower them to make change themselves. But before I proceed any further, I wish to acknowledge the traditional owners. I know we've already had that on land on which we uh, are meeting here today, and those other Aboriginal people are in the room here. I know Adam over there, who I used to work with, who did some fantastic children's television hosting with me many years ago. Um, but we're here to talk about provoking intergenerational change. Before I proceed, I think I'd be remiss not to talk about some of historical milestones. Some of you may or may not so know these, but it's important that we at least take a moment to acknowledge the impact of colonisation on this country, in particular on the impact on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander civilisations as they existed over the last couple hundred years. So we all know that date, 1770, Captain Cook arrives in Botany Bay in Sydney. Soon after we know the First Fleet comes to Australia and colonisation begins in earnest. Then, about a hundred years we've had the impact of the rollout of colonisation it, as, it, as it flows on and engages with Aboriginal societies in this country over the following 100 or so years. 1901, the colonies form a federation. Uh, we have a constitution, Australia. Probably 10 or so years later, we roll out policies associated with stolen generations, uh, active policies by both government uh, churches, social groups, really revolving around the removal of Aboriginal and Torres Strait children from their families and their communities. Significant impact that rolled out until the 1970s. Some would argue it even continues today. 1967, very monumentous occasion in Australia, a resounding vote through a referendum to count Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people on the census of this country. In other words, count us as citizens in the true sense of the word. And forgive me, I'm skipping through some very important points, but these are the ones that are relevant to my particular talk today. 1988, uh, we have the Baranga Statement, a treaty statement handed to Bob Hawke, the Prime Minister of the time. He was so empower, um, impressed by the statement, he went back to Canberra and promised us a national treaty in the term of his government back in 1988. No treaty. A few years- we have the monumental Marbo High Court decision. throws out the doctrine of terra nullius. Uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are no longer just considered part of the flora and fauna of this country. 1992, mind you. Common law. We jump ahead a little bit further. Kevin Rudd, Prime Minister, 2008. National Apology to the Stolen Generations. And the commencement of a series of initiatives targeting closing the gap to indigenous disadvantage 2008. 2010 constitutional recognition movement starts jump ahead again. 2017 the LaRue statement from the heart Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull is presented through a, with a series of references or commitments, ideas, desires by Aboriginal and Torres people on how we want to be recognised in this society, how we wanted to be recognised in the constitution back in 1901, that never existed. Doesn't like the consultation, doesn't like the feedback. So here we are recalibrating, or the government is recalibrating. I think there's a movement amongst us as people to look at it in a different ways, but we've got the government recalibrating on how best to address constitutional recognition for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. 2018, 10 years on, we have, from the Close the Gap initiative starting, we have a lot of money being spent, annual spend in 2015, 2016, to address Close the Gap disadvantage for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, Federal government level alone, $33.4 billion. Yet, despite that, four of the seven key targets that were to be addressed through the Close the Gap initiative are not met. So despite that expenditure, four of the seven targets have not been met. I just want us to focus on that for a second. What are the key targets that weren't met? Life expectancy hasn't been addressed. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are still dying earlier than the rest of Australians. Australian society, unacceptable. We're a Western country. School attendance has improved, but still behind that of the rest of Australia, non-Indigenous kids um, are attending school at a higher level than Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids. There have been improvements in employment, but still behind key key assessment criteria. Aboriginal people are less likely to be employment than that of our non-Indigenous peers. Literacy and numeracy, again, behind improvement, close, but not close enough. Ten years, significant expenditure. These are significant impacts. I acknowledge there has been some great work done and three of the seven criteria have been met, but four have not, and these four are particularly pertinent to that of impacting on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander youth, impacting on children. So it's all about our people, our kids, our culture. So let's get a further understanding of what this actually means. What is it like to be an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids? kid here today in Australia. We're eight times more likely to be subject to child abuse and neglect. 80% of suicides of children under the age of 12 are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. 42% are developmentally vulnerable on one or more domains starting school. That is, vulnerable in terms of physical, emotional well-being, social competence, emotional maturity, language cognitive skills communication skills and general knowledge how's that transpire when starting school we're significantly behind 60 percent so in terms of literacy and reading we see by year by the time you're in age 10 Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander kids at age 10 we're two years behind roll-on effects This is a striking statistic, and it really is quite upsetting. We're 10 times more likely to be in out-of-home care. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids are 10 times more likely. And it's particularly striking when you look at the actual number. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids equal 5.5% of the population of children aged 0 to 17, but we equate to 35% of kids in out-of-home care. And that, it's likely to triple in the next 20 years. It's extremely disappointing. The other thing is we're seven times more likely to to have received child protection services. And the majority of these are by repeat clients. Why has this occurred? It's commonly called today intergenerational trauma. And we need to understand the past. And we've sort of touched on that earlier about when we looked at the milestones, but we know that post-colonisation impacts were significant on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. The forced removal of our children from their families and communities, significant impact. Cultural assimilisation, the loss of culture, tradition and language, significant. Intergenerational effects on forced removals, the lost connection to country and our unreconciled history in this country. We've all created and worked together to attribute to such factors as alcohol and drug abuse, family violence, poverty and unemployment, discrimination, overcrowding inadequate housing, mental illness, poor health. So we've got connection to family and culture has been broken and it's fractured. And we know that our kids are most likely to experience all these things. Poor health, depression, violence, suicide, be imprisoned, it's a bleak picture. And to add to it, we've got this, the soft bigotry of low expectations in this country. It's a line used by Noel Pearson. He actually got it from the Bush administration. And we're talking about the subtle discrimination, the soft, unspoken discrimination that as an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander person you're experiencing in the day-to-day. That is thinking to our kids that you're not gonna to amount to anything. You're not gonna to contribute to the society. You can be as good as this, that's your level. That's the soft bigotry of low expectations. And we have to address that. I probably should add, you would not be here listening to me if you were actually a person who believed in the soft bigotry of low expectations. A few years ago, SBS produced this show, produced by a production company called Blackfellow Films. Rachel Perkins is the owner of that first contact. Now, the the takeaway point for me with this is the fact that six out of 10 Australians have had little or no contact with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. David Oldfield, little or no contact, very opinionated, no contact. He was very disappointed when he went to a very overcrowded house up at uh, Arnhem Land. It was sort of how they live in these circumstances and all this sort of thing. No, no understanding, there was the first Aboriginal people he had any meaningful contact with in his mind. So the takeaway there is six out of 10 Australians have had little or no contact with Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people, which is a shock to me because as an Aboriginal person, you know, I think everyone's meeting, meeting Aboriginal people, but they've had little or no engagement. So what's that mean? It means the media and the way people portray Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in social media, mainstream media, news outlets, so forth, are the only sources of information in which people are experiencing or getting an understanding of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and civilisations and people and everything we do in our day to day. When you read these sort of headlines, this is just from the last week, our white policy makers maintaining the Indigenous gap. Childcare, Palm Island, incarceration. I like the one, US rockers. Not going on Sunrise, good on them. Also like the NT News, they can always pick a headline, Green Ant Cheesecake. (laughs) Yeah, I love the NT News. So what's it all mean? Is it too complex, too political, too depressing, too frightening, too hopeless, too clueless, too sad, too negative, too hard? Is it? I like to think it isn't. Otherwise, I wouldn't do what I do, and the people that work with me wouldn't do what they do. And I'm up for the challenge. And I guess today, as part of the challenge series, we're up for this challenge. So I want to talk a little bit about the type of things that I think we can do as a group or as a society to address things like the soft bigotry of low expectations and empowering Indigenous youth to close a gap and working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander youth. Key point, positive self-identification. In this, I'm going to use one of my examples... Um, but you need to be seen. Indigenous kids need to be seen to be successful, to be contributors, to be meaningful in society, to actually play a role. And it's really hard when you're not actually portrayed that way, when you're reading headlines like we just saw. A few years ago, I was fortunate enough to go to the US. I went to Sesame Workshop, who are an outreach agency, produced a show called Sesame Street. And I pitched to do Australia's first ever production for Sesame Street. And it was quite deliberate that the people, not only am I an Aboriginal man, but I wanted to pitch the idea of portraying Aboriginal kids in the positive, not in the deficit, as leaders, as something that all Australians could celebrate. The very first Australian content on a Sesame Street featured Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children. And it featured Jessica Mowboy, and we shot it at Alice Springs. We were in the Todd River. It was quite amazing. And it was groundbreaking. It went to 144 countries. It's been seen millions of times around the planet. I was in New York two weeks ago. They still rave about this clip. It was a breakthrough moment for them. So let's have a look.
2: Put your hands up and then look to the sky. My boomerangs flying on by. Put your hands up and then wave them on.
0: Two, three,
2: four. Five.
1: I'm particularly proud of that. Uh, I don't get to see it as much as I used to, but thank you. It was groundbreaking. So much so, the ABC have taken that out of the Sesame Street program. They run that quite independently all the time here in Australia. So it's actually been... And I have had many a mother and father come up to me and say, can you stop getting them to play that because our children (laughs) are driving us crazy in the car, jumping around to kangaroos. A more recent example of positive self-identification came about through a campaign we did for the Queensland Government. Uh, It was to address domestic and family violence. It went to air last year here in Queensland. Uh, uh, It was a significant rollout. The critical point here about positive self-identification is we developed this and the Queensland Government were, were giving enough for us to the idea of actually designing a creative and campaign strategy based on co-labs and co-design. And by that, I mean working with a community group to actually say, how do you want a campaign to work to address a particular outcome? And in this case, we initially started this campaign by sitting down and running a series of workshops across the state. We went to remote indigenous communities such as Palm Island, but we also went to Ipswich and Logan here in Brisbane and we sat with community, elders, um, parents and Indigenous youth, particularly, to develop an idea. And one of the critical takeaways from that particular engagement was the fact that Aboriginal and Islander kids told us that we want to be seen, but we don't only want to be seen. That is, we don't want to be singled out in this particular instance. We want to be a part of a broader society. So we went back to the state government and we told them this. And so the, what was started as an indigenous specific focus campaign became a broad-sweeping youth campaign for the state, targeting all youth around initiatives of domestic and family violence. And we also heard the way that they wanted to engage and, be, and the types of things that were going to entertain them around a serious message. And that was they wanted it to be uh, hip-hop, rap, that sort of language, and how that engaged with the groups. They also wanted to be heavily engaged in social media, these sorts of things. So, uh, we created um, Stop the Herding, working with a rapper who we engaged um, to come up and work with us, Illy from Melbourne, who was really passionate about this space. And um, I'll just show you this, so hold your ears for a second, it's quite. <laughs>
2: Tell me, is it still so easy to be chill? Nah, let's be real. Just want to scream, but when nobody's going to listen. Screw it all, slamming doors, something hallways and kitchens. I'm caught in the motion. I'm lost, but I'm not broken. Nah. I just don't want to stop and smell the roses Read between the lines when I'm like, leave me alone Cause I'm scared your life reflects what I see in my own so I say Stop and take a second, we can stop and slam the brakes Story isn't over, we can always turn a page Face into the future, turn our
1: back on the mistakes I'll go around, come back around
0: Authorised by the Queensland Government, Brisbane My
1: next point We've got to encourage content creators to play a more positive role. The mainstream news outlets, social media bloggers, these type of groups are portraying Indigenous communities in the deficit, in the negative. They were sensationalising. We saw it the other week um, and the subsequent protests around the Sunrise statements around the Stolen Generation and the naiveness to actually think by making those sorts of statements by an all-non-Indigenous panel that they are somehow provoking change in this country when, in fact, they're encouraging bigotry and racism; those sorts of things are really bad and ill-informed by the mainstream media. So we've got to encourage content creators to play a more positive role, so that kids actually think they're actually got opportunity, that things aren't negative, that you can live beyond that, you can achieve beyond that. A way we did it, and you have to excuse me for some of these clips, so it gives you a bit of a context. But another way we've done it was some pretty no, I mean, we, this is about encouraging Indigenous kids to get on the electoral roll for the last federal election, and um, we took a positive approach here again. We used Indigenous role modelling, people they could relate to, some of which are heroes, some are not, but we took an approach to getting on the electoral roll, using your voice, and we worked with the Australian Electoral Commission to create Our Vote, Our Future. Our Vote, Our Future.
0: Step right. My vote is about tackling the big issues. My vote is about the choices I make. My vote to me is about me speaking my mind. Because we should all be in the game. Because I don't want others speaking for me. So make sure you're enrolled to vote. It's the best way to have your say and help shape our future. If you need to enroll or change your address, you can use a computer or a
2: smartphone.
0: You can also pick up a form
2: at any Australian electoral commission office or
0: Australia Post outlet. You'll need proof of ID. That is a driver's license or a passport or someone who is already on the electoral roll who can confirm who you are. Even if you haven't enrolled before, you can enroll now and you won't be fined for not voting in the past. But be quick enrollment's close soon. Step right. Enroll today and make sure your voice is heard. Step right up.
1: I just want to make a point though, most of you would have seen in recent years, we're actually seeing a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people appearing in mainstream advertising and I've and I read recent articles in ad news and so forth, which is a fantastic outcome, subtle. I think we've seen actresses and so forth appearing in things like coffee ads and car ads, it's just, that's what it's about, that's being seen but not just being seen. That's being engaged with in a meaningful way and celebrated as positive contributors to this society. That ad was really about saying, we are very impressive people, we are very proud, and we should be on the electoral roll, and if you're a young kid, get out there and enrol to vote so you can make a difference to this country. That's what that was about. All this is very good and well here in the cities, in the regional centres, in the bigger towns, but connectivity, um, being able to access things such as the internet, broadband, and do it in an affordable, uh, in an affordable way, is a challenge. We ran the domestic family violence campaign all across the state, but it, it didn't have the same impact as it would have here, as it would have in, in Brisbane and so forth. Um, simply because of the fact that. It wasn't on cinemas. You, you could see that out here in Brisbane in the cinemas. You could see it on the bus shelters. You could see it. You could even interact over an Eagle Street with, a, with the song. You could walk past. You could do those sorts of things here in Brisbane. But up on Palm Island, the reality was they didn't even know the campaign existed. We spoke to them about the campaign. They wanted us to come back and show them the campaign that they informed. Um, but because of internet speeds or cost prohibitive Wi-Fi, the fact that local radio didn't run it. All these sorts of things were really significant factors in actually the way we can actually implement, change and engage with the community. It's a big issue. And whilst it's costly and we don't know know, the price point with Telstra and Optus and these sorts of people make it really difficult, we have to look at ways around that. The way we got around that particular one was we ran um, a workshop, we've got a clip here of it. No, we don't. we ran a workshop in the community with the kids hip hop workshops and you know put on sausages of old school type of PR community engagement showed the clip did all that sort of thing and encouraged them to be a part of it but in this world it's pretty much a human right that we have to be connected at a speed at a way to the rest of the world like everyone else and it's really difficult when they've got that sort of level of discrimination it's just not acceptable to say that that's that's okay it's not Another factor that we can use to address and be quite practical about is promoting and celebrating Aboriginality. We have the oldest living continuous culture on the planet in this country, and yet for some reason there is a blinkered eye view to it all. I don't know, we saw it at the Com Games the other week when we had a fantastic celebration in the opening ceremony, I was most proud of the fact that there was so celebrated Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture right up the head of that, yet that we had people running that down, making negative comments, there was significant rebuff against it. Very disappointing. The reason we should celebrate that is simply because it's there. It's most. It's, it makes Australia quite unique. Aboriginality and Aboriginal people want to be a part of that. They want to be celebrated and they want to celebrate it for themselves. They want Australians to understand that in the broader context. So we need to celebrate Aboriginality. We've got to promote our role models. We need Aboriginal people to be successful. We're not just on the football field. We're not just rappers. We're not just musicians and actors. We're also scientists like Carly, Carly Noon up there, who's an astronomer. We've got to celebrate Indigenous achievement everywhere it exists, and we've got to promote it in a way that makes everyone proud of Aboriginal people and Aboriginal people very proud of themselves. We've got to encourage self determination. There's no point consulting and communicating with Indigenous communities if they're not going to be listened and taken seriously around these issues. Self-determination is a very important thing. The policies of closing the gap are ones often predetermined by policymakers, bureaucrats, governments, to tick certain boxes. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people know how to solve these problems. They need to be listened, they need to be engaged with, They need to be self-determined. Very important. So we need to encourage that, re-engage with that. Government's tried it in the past, closed it down, tried again, closed it down. But it's a real way forward. The most recent example of this, again, is that Uluru Statement from the Heart. Five-, six-year consultation process. Didn't Didn't like what was being said. Let's move on. So consultation isn't about just talking to people, it's about listening and actually acting on what those communities are actually saying. It's a two-way process. The way we did this, and I'll just hop back to um, this was out at Logan, I think, this community group that we consulted with, with Stop the Hurting, took the rappers out there. But what it really shows is that when we designed the campaign, we sat and listened to the way that the community actually wanted to run that campaign. So it was actually, we heard, it became an effective campaign in dealing with a very serious issue, no one was shying away from the fact that domestic and family violence impacts significantly on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, but we looked at a way that created the positive, and we listened and consulted, and in a way, the youth were very much self-determining the way that they wanted to be engaged. We need to increase and amplify programs that encourage youth self-empowerment. There's been quite a lot of success over in recent years, um, Recent year with programs and engagement initiatives, both from a community social movement level through to more sophisticated campaigns. Uh, I was fortunate enough, I thought it was last year, but it's actually this year, to work with, uh, to be invited by QUT, who's got a partnership with Career Trackers, the internship program, to go to the Gala Awards um, in Sydney and to actually see the celebration of Indigenous success by the young. Uh, students who are interning to some of the big corporates of the country and celebrate not only the fact that the corporates are taking those kids on, but actually appreciating what they're contributing to their businesses and to their bottom line. So Career Trackers is one initiative, AIMS another, the work of the National Indigenous Youth Parliament, SEED, I think it's an Oxfam initiative, where these are social movements, community movements that are actually making a difference. So these programs do exist. We need to amplify, encourage more, encourage people movements around these sorts of spaces. A lot of these are started simply by people wanting to actually make a difference. I know from AIM and from Career Trackers, these are these are from individuals that sort of saw a need, created a response, are making a difference, and the corporates are jumping on board. It's, we're doing this; they're doing it without government. That's the beauty of this. Our own particular way of. Um, which we've been involved in an outreach initiative or making change from our own particular movements, been work that we've done with Sesame. Yes, we've made clips, we've done films, and we've engaged with them, but our next agenda is really to work with them, with Sesame, to, to bring their power, their skill, and their abilities to work with little preschool kids, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids, around social and mental wellbeing, and how they see themselves in the world moving forward. Um, it's a very, very very significant thing for us as a business, and we went to Sesame on purpose. This is an organization that's 50 years old. It specializes in outreach initiatives. It's, I mean, I was reading a point just earlier today. They are now working in Syria, um, Jordan, and those sorts of places dealing with the monumental refugee crisis. They're working with 12 million kids under eight years old, and they're actually engaging in that space. So to say, they wanna come and work with us here in Australia because one of their priorities of working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids, and try and make a difference. So we're actually looking for partners to come on board with that. I don't want to understate this, but the power of reconciliation. I was one of a few people, well, not one of a few, one of about a million people that engaged and walked over the bridges in this country back in 2000. I walked across Sydney Harbour Bridge. There was fantastic movements, lots of energy around that. <laughs> So reconciliation and recognising Indigenous people in the Constitution, recognising our role in this society, not only for that of governments, but us as individuals, us as businesses, and, and the important role we all play, is very important. It's important to your pride. It's important as a contributor to the meaningful engagement with this society. Reconciliation is a very powerful thing. It's a two-way process, but it's very powerful. And we've seen movements for change this year, you know, change the date, I think this is actually from the Greens, uh, the Greens have actually taken that on a policy initiative to, act to change Australia date uh, to a date more acceptable for all of us as a, as a nation, and we've seen other change the record, Triple J's Hottest 100 and their particular initiative about changing their date, but what I'm saying here is that there is movement around making for a more inclusive and respectful, diverse society in Australia. And reconciliation is a really strong part of that. One way that we've shown reconciliation in a broader context is by showing diversity, uh, by showing respectful ways of engaging with all communities in Australia. And um, we did this for Sesame again, so I'm sorry I'm really using Sesame a lot, but they really epitomise everything that we stand for as a company. Um, I'll play this one. This is S is for Siblings, featuring the Veronicas, but it also shows a very diverse and reconciled Australia.
2: S is for Sibling, something that we call brothers and sisters in a family. S is for Sibling, they're lots of fun. You may have many, or you might just have one. Sometimes they look very different. Sometimes you can't tell them apart. They make different choices and have different voices They learn to play fair and they learn how to share
1: I just want to reiterate the the points that I've just made. There's about seven of them. And the fact that we are at risk of losing another generation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people if we don't take on board some of these ideas or bring our own to the party. I think we need to focus on encouraging positive self-identification for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids. We want to push content creators to play a positive role we want to look at connectivity and enhance and enable access right across this country so everyone's considered and not discriminated on where they live. We need to promote and celebrate Aboriginality. We need to encourage and enable self-determination. We need to increase and amplify programs that encourage youth and self-empowerment. And finally, and we don't want to under- underestimate this, the power of reconciliation. It's something that we all have. We might be stalled with the Uluru Statement, But that doesn't stop us, doesn't stop business, doesn't stop universities, doesn't stop individuals, doesn't stop us all proceeding in a way to creating a more engaging, more sophisticated, more Australia that we want to live in in the future. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to a podcast from the IFE. To stay up to date with our podcasts, please subscribe to our channel. You can also visit us on the web at qut.edu.au forward slash IFE. And we're also on Twitter at IFE underscore QT and also on Instagram at IFE.QUT. We really hope you enjoyed this IFE podcast.